Do you want a bank that has reliable bank feeds? Do you want a bank that has ultra detailed transaction data to make reconciliation lightning fast? Do you want a bank that connects to both QuickBooks Online and Zero directly? Do you want a bank that offers you access to your client's bank accounts using your own login? Do you want a bank that has no account fees, overdraft fees, or minimum balances? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor Relay later in the episode. Ever wished you could earn CPE credits while on the go? Introducing Earmark, the app revolutionizing the way accountants earn their CPE. Just listen to your favorite accounting and tax podcasts, whether you're driving to work, working out, or even doing chores. After you're done listening, take a quick quiz. Score 70% or higher, you've earned your CPE. It's that easy. And here's the kicker. It's totally free. Plus, with Earmark, you're not just ticking a box. You're actually learning valuable insights from top accounting podcasts. So why wait? Download the Earmark app now on iOS or Android and transform your listening time into CPE credits. Make the most of your day and stay ahead with Earmark. And that goes to what you were talking about earlier, David, with these robots. Okay, yeah, a robot can deliver the food to the table, but it cannot support you the way that a human can, at least not now. And I I think it's going to take a really, really long time before it can. And when it can, we'll be living in a robo-utopia. Once AI can do what humans do, it'll either be a robo-utopia... Robo-socialism, you know, that's why we'll, we'll, we'll live in a world where robots do all the work and people just get a paycheck from the government. Or we'll live in a dystopia in which the robots run the show and, and we are just, you know, fodder. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. It's Friday. How, how fast do Fridays come? Very quickly these days, you sent me an amazing video. I just want to kick off the show with this video. It's from a deposition just a few days ago. David, uh, why don't you set the well, set the I mean, table? I think, isn't isn't coverage of of uh, the Trump stuff? You that's like your ballpark. <laughs> so I just throw those articles over the fence to you. Yeah, but this is a video from a, the deposition of. Donald Jr., right? Donald Don Trump Jr.? Jr. Don. Yep. I guess he just says he was by Don. Don Jr. And I don't know what the context of this is, but I'm assuming the, I don't know, maybe this is grand jury testimony. I have no idea, but they're maybe setting a table to establish his accounting knowledge before they ask him detailed questions about behaviors, possibly. So there's not a lot of context to this, but right. what is captured is gold. It's just gold. So I'll let you play it. Here we go. Do you have any familiarity with an acronym GAAP, G-A-A-P? Generally accepted accounting principles, yes. Okay. How did you become familiar with that acronym? Probably in Accounting 101 at Wharton. Okay. Um, What do they teach you about generally accepted accounting principles in Wharton? Uh, Well, I'm not an accountant, but that they are generally accepted. Anything else? That's that's pretty much what I remember from Accounting 101. So. <laughs> Have you told me everything you know about GAP? <laughs> uh, basically. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure I could come up with some creative uh, <laughs> stuff to kill time, but I'd be doing neither of us a favor in terms of educating ourselves. So there you go. That's Don Jr.'s understanding of GAP. He, at least he knows what it stands for. It, it, the the crazy thing is is to think about like Wharton Business School graduate, right? <laughs> but it also explains a lot of behaviors, right? <laughs> like, 
It does. I, I like the na- I like the fact that he name dropped Wharton and then admitted that he didn't learn anything there. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, we have a lot to talk about this week. We've got, of course, the ongoing Donald Trump Sr. saga in New York. His accountant, former accountant, was on the stand, poor guy, uh, getting complained about by Trump in the courtroom. Trump apparently complained that he was mumbling. He couldn't hear him. And uh, so we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit. Uh, U.S. job growth has remained strong. Wall Street Journal did another piece on accounting. The headline is, Why No One's Going Into Accounting. They're just giving us golden nuggets every single week here. They are obsessed with this more than they, we are. They must, get, must be getting lots of clicks because they're pumping <laughs> on an article every week. It must be a ratings bonanza, the accounting crisis now. All right. I mean, I guess, I guess a lot of people are are reading these articles uh, and we are helping to bring them to you. There is new research on the CPA pipeline challenges underway. We'll have a link to a survey for you. Zoom has new AI features. How about you? What's top of mind for you this I week? I mean, I had a interesting learning from two restaurants and how they're rolling out robots and AI and how that, you know, applies. It actually goes to, we've been doing a, a few um, webinars with uh, ShareFile. Mm-hmm. And it's about the customer experience. And so those articles kind of tie into that and some of the opinions we've had about the, at the end of the day, it's the customer experience um, versus the technology. I got a little better understanding of, I think we talked about the whole Canadian CPA versus uh, Quebec and the arguments. I think I have a slightly better understanding of what they're arguing about. Um, what other good ones? They uh, they arrested the guy who leaked, remember all the, Rich people's taxpayer data, Jeff Bezos, Donald Trump's oh, yeah, returns. Yeah. They arrested that guy. I saw that happen this week. Oh, FedNow. There they announced some some upcoming changes to FedNow because that's you know the it's getting momentum. And the the new changes are gonna probably really cause a lot of momentum. So all right. So uh let's get right to it, shall we? We got a lot to plow through. Let me tackle this Wall Street Journal article first. Love this graphic here. It's a an accountant with their head replaced by a calculator <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a red line going downward. Why no one's going into accounting? Pay has stagnated in a profession once seen as a sure thing, while other fields are more lucrative. Pretty much a death sentence for my dreams. And to summarize, it's really simple, right? It, two things. They mentioned that pay has stagnated for accountants. It has actually adjusted for inflation declined by 1%. It's confusing because they're averaging a bunch of years, but basically over the last decade or so, salaries have stagnated. The average accountant salary for 25 to 29 year olds, the median is uh, $56,000 a year. And that fits with what I heard on the AICPA town hall this week, where there is new data about accountant salaries. And yeah, like forty to sixty thousand dollars a year is still what entry level public accounting staff are earning, and it has not changed in many, 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 many years. Not competitive, as uh, Lisa Simpson said. And Robert Half, I think, just released their his their uh, salary guidelines for twenty twenty four, and Going Concern covered them pretty well. And I was looking at the the percentages, and I was like, isn't just three point three, three point nine, five point two nine, even six percent just standard of living increases. These are not like 
real wage increases between yeah. 23 and 24. Yeah, the Wall Street Journal did their own analysis of federal earnings data, and they found that adjusted for inflation, 20-somethings accounting salaries stayed at about $56,000 since the 2008 financial crisis. There's some stories in here that I want to highlight. Brittany Casey, 23, is the former president of the University of Houston Student Accounting Society, and even she is unsure she'll pursue a CPA. Though the credential is a gateway to higher-paying jobs in accounting and finance, paying for the extra year of college credits to get a CPA is prohibitive, she said. For now, she plans to go straight to a job in the risk advisory division of Weaver, a Texas-based accounting firm, once she graduates in December. So she's going to go work for a public accounting firm. She just has no plans to become a CPA. Can you read the sentence? This is this is a direct quote, right? Because the narrative we've always gotten from AICPA is like, no students ever talk about this or ever say these words. So can you read it again, what she said? Though the credential is a gateway to higher paying jobs in accounting and finance, paying for the extra year of college credits to get a CPA is prohibitive. That's a direct okay. quote from Brittany Casey, 23, former president of the University of Houston's Student Accounting Society. There's another one here, a musician, a fellow musician who <laughs> decided to change um, what he's doing. Uh, his name is Michael Bertold. He started in the tax division of a large firm after graduation in 2018, earning about $55,000. His work on corporate clients' financial statements often entailed 13-hour days preparing tax documentation and converting data, leaving little time for the indie pop band he played with. Public accounting, quote, was pretty much a death sentence for my dreams, unquote. He eventually oh, left to pursue man. music. To earn money, he joined a company called Bean, which contracts out accounting services to companies that need more accounting staff. Berthold, who is 28 and lives in Los Angeles, now works flexible hours and estimates that on an hourly basis, his pay rate has doubled. I think that's that's about all I want to share from this story. And, and was that Wall Street Journal or was that Washington Post? That was Wall Street Journal. Okay, so Wall Street yeah. Journal is going to, they're going to get themselves to be enemy number one of some organizations <laughs> out here. <laughs> well, you know, they're just pointing out the obvious truth and they're talking to people about it and they're surveying people and that's what we should be doing. And luckily we have seen some surveys come out. Arizona CPA Society is doing a survey. California Society, actually the Board of Accountancy is doing a survey. I shared out the link on social media to that. Uh, and now we've got another one. Uh, let me see if I can find that survey. Here it is. The Illinois CPA Society is doing some new research. I spotted this in CPA Practice Advisor. It's in partnership with the Center for Accounting Transformation and a collection of other stakeholders. This survey expands on the one they did in 2020 that led to that report, Decoding the Decline which we've talked about here on the show a lot. Um, yeah, here's a link to the survey. It closes December 15th, 2023. And, and they're targeting accounting students, if I'm correct on that, if I read that correctly, right? Well, so they got criticism in the past over that past survey because they didn't survey people who left the profession. They only surveyed current students and current accountants. They didn't go out and survey people who had left. And the goal of this survey is to get those people too. So it says, accounting and finance students and professionals under the age of 35 with and without a CPA credential are encouraged to complete the survey. 
the organizing partners are encouraging all accounting and finance professionals to share the survey link with those they know in the target audience. I do hope that they get this out to people who left because I think asking them why they left is really important. Well, so we have people in our chat and we have listeners. Uh, go to the show notes, click the link, fill out the survey, survey if you match this and if you've left the profession. This, the one thing I did click through to the survey, Blake, and started to take it a little bit, but, mm-hmm. and then I didn't finish or submit the results. I'm a little worried it's kind of long. 10 minute long. <laughs> if I, if I'm thinking about I'm thinking about the, yeah. the, the the demographic, and I feel like we we live in a 12-second world of TikTok videos. And like to get somebody to spend 10 minutes to do a survey and read all the fields and answer the questions thoughtfully, I just you, you you're almost self-selecting a certain type of person that will do a survey. They need a they need a and, prize, you know? I don't think there's a prize. Well, <laughs> there should be. Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift CPA. Taylor Swift <laughs> tickets. <laughs> tickets. Hey, well, you said Taylor Swift, and I've got a story about Taylor Swift. We didn't even tease it in the beginning, but oh, I got to talk about have, this. This is more ratings. This is this is good. Yeah. Okay. So, if you resold Taylor Swift tickets, the IRS is watching. <laughs> uh, I spotted this in Gizmodo. Apparently, there's a new rule from the IRS where ticket sellers like Ticketmaster and StubHub are going to have to. Send a 1099 if you made more than $600 reselling tickets this year through those platforms. Ticketing websites previously had to send 1099K forms to a user who made more than $20,000 through 200 or more transactions in a year. The updated law, which is part of the American Rescue Plan Act, lowers that amount to $600 regardless of the number of sales, and sellers will only need to pay taxes on the profit. So if you resold your Taylor Swift tickets... So you might have they to just report pull that back on the Venmo, PayPal, six hundred dollars stuff. I thought they 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 pulled back on. I think I got those delayed. Requirements. It got, it got delayed. delayed, but in the meantime, this now is popping up. It's just like, I think this is the same thing. Maybe it's related to that. Maybe like it's the same law. It just got postponed. Uh-huh. I could be wrong on that. But then now it's the next level of instead of just the payments companies, now they're. It's well, those guys are payments companies. Ticketmaster to enforce. I mean, yeah, it's true. If they're facilitating it, transactions, they're involved they're, in they're payments. They're payments company, yeah. 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 Um, David, do you want me to play your video of this robot? Yes. Okay. And while you're queuing that up, so Chick-fil-A is testing robot servers. So not robot menus, not robot, um, oh, I was going to say burger flippers, but it's Chick-fil-A. <laughs> like robot deep sandwich fryers, pickle, pickle, uh, Appliers, right? It's it's the, so your food's done, and it's going to bring it to you on a tray, and we have a little video of that happening. So we're watching a robot roll over with a tray. It's got that in a very empty restaurant, though. <laughs> it's got that Chick Fil A box, and the robot's walking away or rolling away. Okay, hopefully that music in the background doesn't get us a strike on YouTube. <laughs> Is the other video the same thing? It's basically the same thing. I think it's harder to hear the robot, but it's very similar to okay. the same. So what does this have to do with thing. accounting, David? It's a robot so, server. So I've had this in my queue for a little while because it's, you know, it's everybody's trying to do things with tech and robots, et cetera. But I, I didn't really bring it to the bring it up because it just didn't fit. But now I have a new story from this week that kind of starts to tie it together a little bit. So they're not the only ones trying this. Last year, Chili's tried to do this and they halted it. Because people didn't feel like it was uh, it fits in the full service model. 
right? And then there's another uh, company. I don't know if you if you've heard of this place, Anthony's Coal Fired Pizza and Wings. I've heard of it. I've never been there. Okay, so they had an AI ordering platform, and so this article was from Pizza Marketplace, which is a dot com, and this this company had a uh, AI ordering platform called Becky, and. Becky just had a lot of complaints for a year. People, staff complained about Becky. The customers complained about Becky. And so they sat. And so um, the coal-fired pizza, Anthony's coal-fired pizza shut it down. They shut down Becky, the AI ordering agent. From what I could tell, it feels like it was a telephone ordering agent. It wasn't a chat bot or a chat box uh, type agent. But when they rolled it out, their goal was just like every accounting firm, right? They want to have... Um, improved efficiency, cost savings, order accuracy. And what happened, it turned out that people really want to talk to a person. And what they were discovering, and like you might want cheddar jack cheese on your, your pizza, I don't know. And it just couldn't handle people's requests. So things that, so what they discovered is there's higher customer satisfaction by ordering from a person and the order's faster and it's more correct was what they discovered. And this goes kind of, I think, when you think about firms, there's a place for AI and technology in your customer's journey and experience. You just have to figure out where that's at. And for what these restaurants are starting to discover, maybe for a fast food or fast food place, a robot delivering the food's okay. Maybe uh, ordering bot is okay. Like McDonald's, you self-serve on that big touch screen. Maybe that's okay. But maybe if you're going to, a, maybe you're a little bit more of a full service restaurant or a full service firm, you might have to use just AI in the background. It mm. might not be your front end. So you're going to have to, it's, you can't just roll it out because it's cost savings and efficiency. And I think we get trapped in our industry under that mantra, Yeah. right? Look at how efficient this will be how the, without the regards to the customer experience. Well, like in this restaurant example, they're using robots. Chick-fil-A is using robots to deliver the food. There's not much of an interaction that happens there. It's okay to automate that because nobody really cares if a human delivers the food or a robot delivers the food. The point is yep. that the food got to your table. And it's a big difference from using the AI to do that initial customer interaction where they're ordering, which is much better done by a human currently anyway. So- but but yeah. even the delivery of the food, even Chili's discovered that more of a sit-down dining experience, people didn't like the food being delivered by a robot there. Because yeah. they so, had different expectations. At different restaurants. And, okay. And it basically, the, it's the environment. You, you have to understand your clients, mm -hmm. right? And Chili's, and then what's, I guess what's good is like, they're all testing this. Like if Chili's rolled that out to every single restaurant, it'd be, it'd be a big failure, but it probably did one or two and then they learned. And so that is your firm, test things with one or two clients before you roll stuff out you know, to your firms as well. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Relay. Between Blake and myself, we now have three, four, or maybe five business entities, 20 or so checking accounts, and dozens and dozens of virtual cards. It would be impossible to manage all of this if we weren't using Relay as our small business bank. Relay is truly a part of the tech stack we use to run our businesses. Relay allows Blake and I to each have our own logins, we can grant access to our team, and even our accountant without sharing passwords or two-factor authentication codes. Relay allows us to grow and scale our banking needs without ever going into a physical branch. I recently added an account to receive inbound merchant services with just a few clicks. And I had to create a payroll checking account. Again, just a few clicks, and I instantly had access to my ACH info to give to my payroll provider. With Relay's virtual cards, we can issue debit cards to our team around the world for needed business expenses. 
I can instantly spin up a new Visa debit card and set both daily and monthly spending limits. And when a team member doesn't need their card, I can freeze it until they need to use it again. To learn more about using Relay in your firm and with your clients, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Relay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-L-A-Y. Well, since you got us on the topic of automation, let's talk about one of the big AI announcements this week. Of course, we had plenty from OpenAI and Microsoft, but uh, this one I hadn't heard a lot about. It's Zoom. A lot of us are using Zoom in our meetings, and Zoom has added AI companion features. So uh, let's take a look at this video from Zoom and see what's, what's new. Say hi to... Zoom AI Companion, integrated throughout the Zoom platform. Team Chat. What are we doing here? We're clicking and we are summarizing, summarizing automatically missed chats. A lot of people don't know that Zoom has chat. Yeah. Composing. Like a Slack type product. Yeah, they've had, I, I can't believe they didn't do it sooner. I mean, it makes so much sense. They could have actually beaten Slack. Uh, now, oh, this is great. So now it's summarizing a meeting when somebody jumped into it late. Real-time transcriptions are happening here. There are whiteboards. We're generating a list of ideas from the meeting. That's pretty cool. So it's creating a whiteboard from the conversation automatically. That's one of those things that you miss from an in-person meeting is just being able to get up and put ideas on a whiteboard. Yeah summarizing a meeting, tasks, action items. This reminds me a lot of what you get in fireflies.ai. Smart well, recordings for meetings. So it's creating chapters automatically, chapters of meetings. A lot recordings. of this stuff were plugins. You could get five or six apps to do all this mm -hmm. in Zoom and now they're just gonna roll it out in your subscription. Well, they're yep. gonna pay extra for it, I'm sure. But. No, it's included. So that's what really I liked about this is I got an email because I, I have a Zoom account, just one, right? And uh, it said you can enable all these features for free. It's included in your subscription. So you just got to go. So I'm on the $15 a month plan of Zoom. I don't have to upgrade to get AI stuff. No. Wow. And see, that to me makes sense because the whole point of the AI stuff is to increase adoption. And so if you charge extra for it, you're not going to get the adoption if you charge a lot of money for it. And then, you know, like, I think the winning companies are just going to roll it into the main product and not charge extra. Now, did they do any AI to like tell you like, oh, you left... Google Hangouts open in a different browser tab and you can't get your camera to work in Zoom until you close the other browser tab with Google. Did they have AI to detect that? Because that is my day every day. <laughs> no, well, maybe Windows Copilot will figure out how to do that soon. Hey, we had a comment come in from Heather in the live stream. Thanks everyone for joining us. As a reminder, you can join us live on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Accounting Podcast, get notified when we go live and you can chat with us. Heather's actually coming in from LinkedIn. We are streaming to LinkedIn as well. Heather says, so uh, so since I finally started using Fathom to do these things in my Zoom meetings, Zoom finally has the tool itself. Yep, that's just right. Um, and I've been using Fireflies now for about a month, and it's a similar tool where it joins all my Zoom meetings and it records them and it transcribes them and it creates a list of action items and it creates a summary. But hey, if I can just get that directly from Zoom at no additional cost, win-win. Of course, the problem is I do Google Meets and I do Zooms and I do Teams meetings and I do all these other things. So if you're all in on Zoom, I think it makes a lot of sense. And one of our listeners on LinkedIn also says, I love fireflies.ai. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of it now. 
And I've integrated it with Notion so that all of my meeting notes go into Notion where they are searchable. So if I ever need to go find something, I can find them again. I haven't actually used it to do that yet, but theoretically it's all there. <laughs> Maybe in the future when AI is even smarter, it'll go through and organize all that stuff for me. So I guess capturing the information is just valuable right now because who knows what we'll be able to do with it in the future. You got any tech stories, David, or should I just keep plowing through? Uh, tech story? Uh, a little bit. Uh, this is kind of a tech story slash uh, update. So we've talked about FedNow and the release of FedNow. They've hit a new milestone they've announced. Uh, the Federal Reserve has announced they now have over 100. So 108 institutions are using FedNow. And they've hit uh, about 20 service providers are supporting payment processing and infrastructure instant payments infrastructure. But what they're planning to do is what was more interesting to me is they plan on introducing a tech-centric developer resource in the coming months. So basically it's gonna let, lack of better words, apps, right? Access documentation with updated operating procedures, technical specs, sample code, sample messages um, to assist in the rollout and coding this up. So. And all Zero has an API with all these types of resources for somebody to build an app on Zero or build an app on QuickBooks. These are developer resources, and they speed development up for third-party developers. So, in summary, this is going to be big for our eco the ecosystems, right? Because um, apps that are in the payment space can now roll out Fed Fed Now much faster, which will help because we all use apps and we get paid from clients, and it takes six days, ten days to get an ACH transfer. Who knows? But if you can get them in thirty seconds. A payment from a customer, that's huge. Yeah, right? that's great news. It starts to ripple. Shelly had a question about the Zoom AI. Shelly asked, is the AI searchable to others? And the answer is yes. You can share the meeting summary and next steps through email and Zoom's team chat. Uh, Erica, welcome to the live stream. Erica says, hi, everyone. I'm going into accounting with a minor in forensic fraud. I'm 47 years old and won't graduate for another two years Erica, one career changer to another, welcome. Forensics is a fantastic field, and I hope you have a great second or third, I don't know, whatever new career level this is for you. We need more accountants. We need to make it easier for people to become accountants without lowering the standards, right? That's very important. We always have to say that. Hey, do you want to get into some um, listener mail? Yeah. So I got an email from Gerilyn, and Gerilyn uh, said, hey guys, on your episode last week, you touched on the issue of accounting professors lacking real-world experience. I'd love to see you dig into this more because I think it's a big issue. Accounting professors have outsized influence on the career paths of their students, and many of them either lack the real-world experience altogether or have been out of practice for so long that they aren't very well-versed in the various types of career paths that are out there. I have now been to a few conferences where it was very evident by watching the way that professors interacted with partners from the big four firms that they are still enamored with this being the best path. But we know very well that it is not the best path for everyone. I have to imagine that there are schools out there where their accounting department values the real world experience just as much as a PhD. Can you find them? I'd be curious to see if the students that graduate from these programs continue on to careers in accounting and what paths they take. I also think that exposing students to professors that have lived the experience of a working accountant or CPA is a very viable strategy to save our profession and replenish the pipeline. Thank you, Gerilyn. So, like, just thinking about this, because you have a theory, and I don't know if it's a theory, maybe it's even proven, but one of the reasons that people aren't going to accounting is because you have 
Reddit and these bulletin boards and pe- students talk to each other and they hear about how bad it is to work for big accounting, right? Do you think the same thing is going to happen to um, professors? Like word will get out and schools will get out like, oh yeah, don't go to that program. Or this this professor knows more, like just that social interaction will naturally vet people out. I think, uh, is it Sharon Lasser or Sarah Lasser? I'm uh, Sharon Lassar. Sharon, Dr. Sharon, Sharon Lassar. Lassar. Yeah. We interviewed her last week and she kind of talked about how like some grad Mac programs are just going to die because people are going to figure out they're not good. Yeah. Well, and that is a great bonus episode. If you haven't heard it yet, go back and listen to the recent interview with Dr. Sharon Lassar from the University of Denver. She runs the accounting program at the University of Denver and joined us for a 45-minute interview to talk about the 150-hour rule and how we should change licensing requirements. And even though she runs an accounting program, which includes a MAC, she says we should get rid of the 150-hour requirement immediately in every state. And she's not afraid of it hurting her MAC enrollments because she believes that the University of Denver has a great MAC program that creates value and students will continue to go to it even without being forced to get an extra 30 semester hours. But she also said there are some MAC programs out there that were just designed to take advantage of this requirement and aren't very good and those will suffer and maybe go away. But hey, that's a good thing, right? We don't want these programs out there if they're not creating value for accountants. So if you are creating value as an educator, you will still have students, even without the requirement. And you'll make it easier for career changers like Erica, who's in the stream today, who is 47 and says it's her third career change, to become a CPA, to get into the profession. Uh, You know, like, otherwise, these people aren't going to do it. They're not going to go back and get another fifth year of education. And we cannot solve this problem alone with just people coming through the traditional education pipeline. We got to get people who want to join accounting, uh, whatever their age. Okay, getting off my high horse there. Let's get (laughs) to another uh, listener mail. This is from George. George said, love your podcast. Thought I would just pass on my personal CPA complaints. Back in the 80s, when I was an accounting major at the University of Northern Iowa, UNI had a rule that you could not take any accounting courses your freshman year. What a wonderful way to start an accounting career after taking high school accounting classes and having to take completely ridiculous general education credits for the first year of a four-year bachelor's of accounting. And yes, as you can imagine, the UNI accounting degree is now a five-year program. Sheesh. Number two, I wonder about the CPA exam. In other words, I'll bet if a CPA took that exam today without any study materials or college refresher classes, they would not pass. It seems to me the exam is and always has been an exercise in memorizing material and regurgitating it on a test. Could an auditor in a big four with their CPA credential pass the income tax questions today? Could a seasoned CPA tax professional pass the audit questions? Would this same professional be able to calculate retail dollar value LIFO with no reference material? I know there are specializations, but to memorize, take a test, and never use 50% of the test material seems to be a barrier to sit for the CPA exam. I realize the same would apply to the bar exam and medical boards. It just seems to me there must be a better way for accounting education and certification. Sorry for the rant, smiley face. Uh, Don't apologize for the rant. You listen to me rant every single week. (laughs) So if you want to rant, I'm all ears. We're we're a forum for you. Yes, feel free to send us emails with your rants or record a voicemail. We'll play them for sure. The accounting podcast at earmark.me. Send us your emails or even better yet, send us your voicemails the accounting podcast at earmark.me. Okay, 
getting through this. We're getting through the backlog. Uh, here's one. This is a nice short and sweet one. This is from Taylor. Taylor said, hey, Blake, I always thought negative confirmations were a worthless check-the-box procedure. If auditors were doing a proper risk assessment, they should have already opted for positive confirmations when cash accuracy or existence were more than low or remote risk. Thanks, Taylor. And that is in response to the story about the PCAOB changing audit confirmation requirements for audit firms. Now, you are no longer going to be able to rely exclusively on negative confirmations, meaning you send the confirmation letter and the bank never responds and you go, oh, I guess that means this amount must be correct. I can't believe that was allowed. It's kind of crazy. And that's just been a rule that the PCAOB adopted from the AICPA back in 2003, and they never actually made their own rule. So now under Erica Williams, the PCOB is actually creating some rules. It's going to create a lot of work, though, for accounting firms. So the question is, well, with the shortage that we have now, how are they going to do these positive confirmations? I think this is actually a huge ticking time bomb, this, change, this rule change. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Keeper. By combining client communications, file review, reporting, and your task management, Keeper has everything you need to run your bookkeeping or task practice. Keeper is an all-in-one app that allows you, your team, and your clients to easily collaborate to make your monthly close as efficient as possible. Starting with a beautiful custom-branded client portal optimized for bookkeeping work, your client can answer questions you have about uncategorized transactions, allowing you to categorize and automatically post them to QuickBooks Online correctly, all without ever leaving Keeper. Via the month-end file review feature to surface transactions that may not be posted correctly, and by providing the perfect customized report that each client may need, Keeper can highlight the value that your firm provides clients. Keeper's built-in task management ensures nothing falls through the cracks, and it includes time tracking so you can see where you and your team spends their time. With Keeper's 1099 manager, you can easily review each client's list of vendors, email address, physical address, tax ID, and the amount paid, and from the same screen, even request W9s for any vendors that you're missing information for. No more jumping between screens or browser tabs. Keeper has a very affordable and clear pricing model that starts at only $8 a month. To learn more about why thousands of bookkeepers and accountants trust Keeper to manage their month-end close and to get 20% off your first three months by using code CAP20, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash keeper. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash K-E-E-P-E-R. All right, moving all along. Live assisted bookkeeping for $50 per month. So, David, we got this tweet from Catherine, the CPA. Username is at love to travel on Twitter saying, um, Blake and David, did you see this seems to have gone live recently? And this is a QuickBooks live assisted bookkeeping service. Now, this is not the full service assisted bookkeeping that we talked about last year for, what was it, $200 a month? This is different. Here's what Intuit says it is. This is the screenshot we got. This is a monthly subscription service offering ongoing guidance on how to manage your books so that you maintain full ownership and control. When you request a session with a live bookkeeper, they can provide guidance on topics including bookkeeping automation, categorization, financial reports and dashboards, reconciliation, and I can't see that word, something creation and management. They can also answer specific questions related to your books and your business. Some basic bookkeeping services may not be included and will be determined by your live bookkeeper. The live bookkeeper will provide help based on the information you provide. So basically on the pricing page now, you can pay an extra $50 per month and get access on demand to 
QuickBooks Live bookkeepers who will help you whenever you want. And it feels like it's a little bit more open-ended coaching-ish. Like, hey, I need to think about getting a time. I have a timesheet tracking problem with my employees, and then they're going to come in and recommend some solutions possibly for me. And then I'm in and out. So it's not, I'm not hiring a bookkeeper. I'm just getting some expert advice temporarily. Yeah. On a month, month to month basis. Yeah. If I use it. Yeah. Assisted bookkeeping. It's available for $50 per month on every single tier of QuickBooks, all the way from simple start up to advanced on the QuickBooks pricing page. <laughs> How much is it a month? $50. Okay, I'm going to put some perspective on things. Let's. I'm going to go back on my time machine here to 1997. <laughs> 19... take, take us back, Grandpa David. Back in the olden days. You know, this is the olden days of tech support uh, and, and in-person tech support, huge call centers, and you're selling desktop software. So somebody would buy QuickBooks for 99 bucks, then they need tech support. And we used to charge, if it wasn't actually a, a bug in the product, it was more, because you get lots of how do I's. Right. Mm-hmm. This is in 1997. We would charge people $35 for one call. I think that went on for a while. And then I think they bundled into like you could get five questions for a hundred bucks or something like that. But you think about that, like you're getting this is 20, 30 years later, and you can get a similar mm-hmm. type service for your QuickBooks for you know, 50 bucks. Right. And the sound, is it unlimited? Is it once a week? Does it say? It's unlimited. It unlimited. doesn't say there's a limit. I mean, but here's the thing about these kind of unlimited things. You can always put some provision in there that says we can, you know, if, if this ends up not working out, we can always cancel this, right? So if somebody yep. really abuses it, Intuit could say, you know what? You're not really a good fit for this. We think you need to be on the full service plan. I think this is brilliant. I think every single accounting firm with a bookkeeping or client accounting services practice should be looking at doing something like this for their clients. You've got tons of clients that are doing their own bookkeeping. They are calling you for help and you are not getting paid for it, or they are reluctant to call you for help because they're afraid they're going to get billed $200 an hour or something for their questions. And you could offer a monthly subscription Forget the dollar amount. It can be whatever you want, but Intuit has said this is worth $50 a month. You could charge $50 per month, and guess what the benefit is to you? Even if you're just covering your cost, or even if you're losing your money, you are reducing the amount of crappy books that you get at the end of the year for taxes, and that increases the realization on your tax work. And this is why every single tax practice should be growing their accounting and bookkeeping practice, because it makes your tax work so much more lucrative. I experienced this myself in my own firm. Everyone I talked to who has done this has had the same experience. Your firm will be better. You just have to stop looking at bookkeeping and tax as separate. They are the same thing if you're doing both for your client. They should be looked at holistically. If you look and, and at I them, think go for it. it. It's, it's, it's mindset, right? The other mindset of this is I think accounting firms, somebody sees this and they're like, oh my God, every client's going to call me and the reality is people are going to pay for that month after month after month and not even utilize it. Exactly. It's like a gym membership. Right. And so, so you just need to sell it to all your clients and just it'll be spotty who uses it when. And yes, you're going to have one client that excessively uses it, and that's, but you're going to have lots that don't use it at all, and you're just yeah. making money. Imagine and, you had, it's mindset. It's imagine, mindset. You, imagine you had 100 clients 
paying you $50 per month for unlimited bookkeeping assistance. Now, this doesn't mean that they get to email you and you have to fix it and email them back. No, this means they have to actually schedule time with you. And the way you deal with capacity is you limit the hours per day that can be scheduled. And we are only going to allow them to get booked for this many hours per day for service requests. And you could say it's only 15 minutes, 30 minutes. You could use a Calendly link. You could use whatever these calendar booking things are. And that's how people get support. And just have them bookmark it and book time. Uh, the other way you could do it is you could just have people call in. And it's only available during certain hours. That's another option. I mean, there's lots of ways to manage the capacity on You this. could do it as a roundtable where you do multiple clients at once. Yep. Right? Yeah. Yeah, have office Especially, hours. I, I actually did that yeah, in my yeah. firm where I had office hours. And if you were a client, you could just drop in on Tuesdays and Thursdays for these two-hour slots, and I would help you out. And sometimes I would have two clients jump in together at the same time, and I'd put one in the waiting room, and I'd say, hey, can you hold on for you know 15 minutes while I resolve this? And they're like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll be on hold. So lots of ways to do it. Here's another Email. This is from Spencer, or no, Sager. Sager said, hello, I hope you're doing well. This email is coming from an accounting student who is in panic mode right now. I watched your podcast with the role of AI in accounting, and it totally freaked me out. Now I am really considering changing my major as I don't know if I will find a job two and a half years down the line. Would you honestly recommend students to major in accounting or not? Thank you. Uh-oh. I'm not helping. I mean, but what I just talked about, like, yes, there's going to be AI doing stuff. So I can't do everything. People want customer experiences. Yeah. Right? Like, well, yeah. And, and, you know, in our last episode, we talked about cities with 20 to 30% growth rates in accounting, and we are not producing more accountants. Every year we are losing accountants. So what do you think is going to happen to the people who stick around? They are going to be in high demand. We're only going to automate, like, Best case scenario, in a couple decades, we've automated half the work. That's the best case scenario, if you ask me. So we're we're still going to need like a million accountants yeah. in a decade or two. Like, and they're definitely not enough. Yeah, yeah. E even automating half of the work does not solve the problem. Yeah, yeah. And Christopher says AI is not support, and that goes to what you were talking about earlier, David, with these robots. Okay, yeah, a robot can deliver the food to the table but it cannot support you the way that a human can, at least not now. And I, I think it's going to take a really, really long time before it can. And when it can, we'll be living in a robo-utopia once AI can do what humans do. <laughs> Episode name. <laughs> It'll either be a robo-utopia, um, robo-socialism. You know, that's what we'll, we'll, we'll live in a world where robots do all the work and people just get a paycheck from the government. Or we'll live in a dystopia in which the robots run the show and, and we are just... <laughs> you know, fodder for <laughs> But some people batteries. say we already live in an accounting dystopian already, so. <laughs> well, so here's my response to Sagar. I said, there's a huge shortage of accountants, but it's only going to get worse, so please don't worry. As long as you're willing to learn to use AI, you will always have a job in accounting. The problem is going to be happening for those who refuse to learn how to use it. It also depends what you want to do in the accounting profession. If you're willing to do something where you interact with people, that is not going to get automated anytime soon. So help people plan, right? Tax planning versus tax compliance, financial forecasting versus just reconciling the books. There's so much incredible opportunity if you get into either of those fields right now. Here's one 
regarding education opportunities, ways to get your 150 beyond a Mac. Caden said, have you ever heard of CPAs doing FEMA credits, F-E-M-A? I studied 15 credits of earthquakes, tornadoes, and disposing of dead cows. Thanks for your article. I guess that was in response to my article about the wild ways Uh, accountants earn their 150 hours with the scuba diving and the pickleball and the uh, rock and roll history courses and all that. So I didn't know that FEMA offered credits. We're going to have to look into this. And that actually fits with another story I had in my queue, and I can't find it right now, but it was somebody um, who posted on Twitter, and then some one of our listeners sent it to me, about how there's this online school called Western Governors University, WGU. Have you heard of this, David? I, I feel like we've mentioned those letters on the show before. Yeah. I feel so, like it. So WGU was created by like a partnership of different states, different Western states, to provide affordable online education to help people get college degrees. Uh, And one thing that's really unique about it is that it's an all-you-can-eat, pay-by-the-semester program. So theoretically, you could take every single class you need to get a Mac or a master's. I don't know if they offer a Mac, but you could take in one semester all 30 semester-hour credits if you wanted to. And there was a guy who posted on Twitter about how he did it for like an IT master's in a single semester. So if you're really willing to grind, you could do it all in one semester. And it would only cost you, uh, let's see what the tuition is here. Yeah, so it's $3,575 for a six-month term. It's slightly different depending on what you're doing. Basically, somewhere between $3,000 and $5,000. Like, you can get... And it's all self-paced? Or yeah, is it? it's all self-paced. Oh, I should go get my degree. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm much better at those. Like, sit down on a weekend and knock out three classes. Yeah. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. I'm, I'm much better at those types of things. Ryan says, yay, WGU. That's where I got my degree. Oh, that's awesome. And he says, if you pass your pretest for your class, you can go straight to taking the final. Oh, so you can test out a courses. So that's how you could do it all in one semester, David. But when you test out a courses, though, do you does that count for your thirty hours? If it's that that if it's on, if it's credit on a transcript, if that's how the school does it, then I think it would qualify. Okay. I mean, unless there's some specific provision in your state licensure requirements that say you can't do it that way. But I've heard about plenty of people testing out of their requirements using um, College Board has a way to test for college credit. You can just take a test and you can get college credit at certain schools. Ryan says, yes. So David, yeah, just test out of that stuff. So there's some creative ways, you know, to earn your one, your 150. This episode of the accounting podcast is sponsored by Account Test. Have you ever hired a team member whose actual accounting ability fell far short of what they claimed on their resume or in the interview? If so, you've experienced the frustration, disruption, and financial cost of a bad hire. Don't gamble with a new hire. Test their knowledge before you hire with Account Test. Account Test offers a suite of technical knowledge and personality tests designed by accountants so accounting firms can learn if job candidates truly meet your requirements. Send an online test to a job candidate, and when they finish, you'll get a report about the candidate's accounting skills and working styles instantly so you can make offers ahead of the competition. 
Account Test has tests for all levels of accounting, tax, and bookkeeping candidates, be it a CPA, EA, staff accountant, bookkeeper, intern, or a recent college graduate. When you're ready to test a candidate's knowledge with Account Test and get 50% off your first test by using code TAP50, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash account test. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash A-C-C-O-U-N-T-E-S-T-S. So um, I've got a video that I want to play. This was actually via Ashley Francis. And she's got something, it's pr- something pretty cool here. Um, just bear with me. It's called Autogen. So this is one of those things that kind of went under the radar. Um, I'm going to fast forward to the seven minute mark. It's got a funny comment about Excel. Microsoft just dropped something huge and no one is covering it. Uh, great hook there, right? Let's see this. Specifically, it checks to see if this code is able to run and it tells them, wait, we have to install this thing before we run the code. And the guy's like, oh, okay, here, I'll write the code, including the instruction to install that code. Then boom, it works. So if you were having a one-on-one conversation with ChatGPT, this would be an erroneous answer. But because you have multiple agents, he catches the error, tells him to correct it, and boom. Now we can install the software, create the output that was asked for, which is whatever the two Meta and Tesla stock prices. And then this is where the human comes in. So he looks at this, like, no, no, I want the percent change. And ChatGPT goes, got it. Here's the revised code. And then the Python agent plots it. What this means is that whatever time you've ever spent in your life practicing how to use Excel or Tableau, what this means is that time is gone and it's wasted and it's never coming back because AI can take care of that in seconds. <laughs> so what this video uh, shows is this way that Microsoft has demonstrated of using multiple AI agents to solve problems much better than a single AI. And so the idea is that much like people in a company, you give AIs jobs and you say, you're the project manager. You say, you're the coder. You say that you're the quality control. And then you have them interact with each other until they get to a result they're happy with. And then it goes to the human. So you're creating a team of AI agents. So they can fix a lot of the issues before it ever gets to you, increasing the quality of the output. So imagine in accounting, if you had a bookkeeping team of AI agents where you had one AI agent that was responsible for coding transactions into the general ledger. And then you had another AI agent that was responsible for reviewing the coding of the transactions and the reconciliations and then sending them back to the original AI. Yeah, because this concept of like, you're going to have this one super powerful AI that's just going to do everything perfectly. It maybe isn't very realistic, but you could definitely have, hey, this one's good at this and this one's good at double checking this and this one's good at sandy checking this but yeah i think that could make a lot of sense to stack these up i mean in a way like isn't that kind of what intuit's kind of trying to do there they set themselves with the platform not so much the checking but different types of ai tools will be and you'll be getting the proper one at the proper time it's not just one ai tool right Mm -hmm. yeah um all right that's all of our listener mail uh we did get a comment Cameron said, glad I found this podcast. Let's keep the conversation going. You guys remind me of the All In podcast. I can see this oh, growing. Wow. Thank you. That's quite a compliment. I, I have two small IRS things if you want to touch on. Yeah. Right. So the first one is, so we talked about this. I must feel 
maybe two years ago, remember all the tax returns, Jeff Bezos, Donald Trump's, all the rich people's tax returns got leaked. Mm-hmm. Well, they made uh, they made an arrest and they filed charges now against Charles Littlejohn, age 38 from Washington, D.C. He worked at the IRS as a government contractor. And he's basically, he's been now charged one count of unauthorized disclosure of tax returns and return information. If convicted, he'll face up to five years in prison. Um, I went and found him on LinkedIn. Uh, oh, really? There's not much on his page. His job was data process management at the IRS, and he was there for years. It wasn't like he was just like some newly hired person. So he was there for a very long time. Um, obviously, you know, the Republican side of the aisle, like they want to behead people and hammer for investigations and, and all of that. But I couldn't find, even reading in the um, the actual legal court documents, really what he did. Um, right. Like, I was wondering, how, how do we, how did he have access to go and like, does just like go and search? Like, I would, let's see Jeff Bezos and you type it up in some computer and you just download the forms. Like how, how did he do this is the questions I have, but I so, couldn't really find anything on that. You said you found his LinkedIn, LinkedIn. profile. Yeah. So like, does it say what his, uh, you know, work history was? Because my, I had the same question. He worked just at this other, uh, tech, this other data company. Okay. So he's an IT contractor. That's yeah, yeah. our guess. Right. And Probably. think about yeah. it. IRS contracts with IT people. IT people need to have access into systems in order to do their work. And they probably had zero internal controls about what sort of data these contractors were able to export. Right? And, and that's what they should have in place is if somebody starts well, downloading... CPAs of, have to do it. <laughs> CPAs have to have compliance. I that, know, right? right? Uh yeah, so I really want to know, like, what was the uh, what were the la- what was the lack of IT controls that allowed this to happen, right? It's probably just like, oh, you're going to go work on this system. Here's the admin login. You know, I'm going to guess it was that bad. Yeah, and I mean, our like, how many people the IRS could just pull up people's returns and peek at them makes you wonder, like, like what what's happening back there. So speaking of contractors, though, I think getting an IRS a contract job with the IRS could be a good idea. So what? Well, but yeah, except you're going to be the ones that get. You're going to be one of the people that gets furloughed or fired when the <laughs> government shuts down. That's so, the problem I don't with the contract you, rules. If you saw the headline, the IRS is slashing the P10 fees. Yes. Apparently, and, a judge determined that the P10 fee was burdensome. And it was like, yes. it wasn't that high, though. $35. It was like $35. <laughs> and, but this fight started in 2012, apparently. And then in 2016, became a class action suit. So, this has been going on for a very, very long time. And so basically the way they did it, they figured out between 2024 and 2026, it's, they have an exact number here, the cost to the IRS for the P-10 program is going to be $27,432,969. And if you take that divided by the approximate 830,000 uh, participants in the P-10 program, it comes out to about 11 bucks a head. And that's how they determine the pricing. But here's the sweet spot. So you take, so you got those 830, uh, 831,000 that are in the P team program. But the fee is 11 plus an extra $8.75 that goes to a contractor. And so some contractor per year is getting a nice $7.2 million revenue business. Man, I don't even know what they do for the P team program, but- man, we're in the wrong line of work, David. (laughs) I mean, I like podcasting, don't get me wrong. It's got good work-life balance, but- (laughs) If the IRS would like to create a podcast, they could reach out to us. Happy to help. So I teased that we'd be talking about Donald Trump again and his accountant, 
Donald Bender, former accountant at Mazars. <laughs> and uh, oh, so he's not the one who was doing like the personal type stuff and keeping a log of it in an Excel spreadsheet. So he was with Mazars then. No, he's not the CFO, uh, Weisselberg. Was, or that was a CFO. Yeah, That's Weisselberg was the CFO. Okay. He pled guilty to a bunch of stuff and he was yeah. the one who was uh, getting a bunch of like fringe benefits and not reporting that as income and like significant fringe benefits, like an yeah. apartment and his kids' tuition. Yeah. But he tracked it all in the spreadsheet. It was beautiful. Right, he, he made it real easy for the prosecutors. Uh, so... On the fourth day of the Trump trial going on in New York right now, uh, Donald Bender, former accountant for the Trump Organization at Mazars, the external accountant, made an appearance. And apparently the defense, uh, well, so the prosecution's argument is that uh, Trump and his company had complete control over the preparation of financial statements uh, with the accountants relying on information the Trump Organization provided. And then those statements had Mazar's you know, logo on them and were sent out to banks and insurance companies and were fraudulent and had overstated the value of all these assets, allowing Trump to get all these loans and, and insurance policies that he shouldn't have qualified for, right? Financial statement fraud there. Um, the defense is trying to show that if there were problems with the financial statements, the flubs were accountant Donald Bender's fault. They're blaming the accountant. Yes, Trump lawyer Jesus Suarez on Thursday continued an exacting cross-examination of Bender who worked on the statements for years. And yeah, that's, that's basically it. Oh, and Trump was uh, complaining apparently during the hearing that he couldn't hear Doug Bender who was supposedly mumbling. But we can see here in the picture that Bender is wearing a mask. <laughs> and so I guess if you wore that in the trial, then it would be a little, maybe a little hard to hear him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's so, and, uh, and this is something um, we should clarify for our listeners who haven't followed our extensive coverage of of the uh, financial frauds at the uh, Trump Organization. Mazars was engaged to prepare a compiled. They were engaged to do a compilation. That was what they did for the Trump Organization, and the accountants may know what a compilation is. David, you had a really great way of describing a compilation in plain English. How long ago? <laughs> so basically, <laughs> under a compilation, you don't do any audit of the information. You just take the information that's provided by your client and you assemble it into a right. set of financial statements. Yeah. And It's like building a PowerPoint deck with all the other financial statements. Yeah, well, and, and so it's a really old-fashioned kind of thing if you think about it because these days, anyone can buy accounting software that allows you to make financial statements. And so these days, essentially all a compilation is is you send over your you know financials out of your accounting software to the accounting firm. The accounting firm looks at it and makes sure everything's categorized properly. They don't actually dig into any of the numbers, and then they slap their logo on it and a big disclaimer that says these is you know this was not audited. And so if, and nobody nobody ever re reads the disclaimers. They just see the logo and move on. Well, and apparently, if you're a banker that doesn't do due diligence, yeah, you don't you don't look at which any we've of that learned, stuff, which we've learned. Yeah, <laughs> bankers to celebrities are you know not doing their due diligence. So yeah, um, that's that's where they're at. I don't I don't think that like just based if this is the defense's argument that the accountant should have done. Like that they're blaming the accountant, I think they are not going to succeed because it's very clear in a compilation engagement what exactly is done. And this is not a jury trial. So it's not like there's a jury 
that you could convince that, you know, like the, the accountant should have done something. This is a judge who understands how these engagements work and can clearly read what it says in the engagement letter. So I don't know what they're doing. It makes no sense to me. Well, we can go back to, you know, we could, Don Jr. should be the expert, you know, he went to uh, Orton. He's an expert on GAF. He could speak to this stuff. Yeah, maybe we should ask Don Jr. what a compilation is. Uh, we should t- uh, t- uh, touch base on the, what I mentioned about Canada and CPA Canada. Oh, yeah, yeah. You got to let's, let's finish out with that since that's in our headline okay. here. Yeah. So if we rewind, we talked about this a little bit before. CPA Ontario, CPA Quebec, they've given notice to CPA Canada that, um, yeah, they want to terminate their agreement in December of 2024. So CPA Canada is the national organization. Correct. And then these are Ontario and Quebec are the provincial groups, sort of like our Correct. state societies. Exactly. And just how, you know, like a lot of the societies here are in some parts of it, in some of the provinces are um, self-governed. Mm-hmm. But Quebec is not self-governed. So they have laws and the way they run their uh, CPA Quebec. So there's laws telling them how to do things. And so one of the major arguments they're all having is about poor transparency of the financial records of CPA Canada. So CPA Canada is saying, we gave you all the transparency you need. And CPA, CPA Quebec is like, no, you didn't. And we have to have this. And so but I, so now I don't understand why they're arguing, but I, the more I know that I understand it, I question it more. Like, what's the real reason you're arguing? <laughs> like, is it just because like they won't give you some financial reports that you want to see? Like, it, it, what, what's being hidden? Like, what's really happening? So what happens if CPA Quebec breaks up with CPA Canada? Like, what does any of this actually mean for anyone? I, I think they kind of have a collaboration accord. It probably goes back to like here with the 150 rule, like the... Uh, Reciprocity. Oh my gosh, I might be able to say it. Reciprocity. We're not, we're not reciprocity across the states. You know, like oh, that's going to all fall apart, and you won't be able to have mobility. I, I wonder if it's like this, like it's a control at the top thing. Hmm. But I, I, it just makes me wonder, like, what's the real beef that's happening? And like, I would love our Canadian listeners to send us emails or yeah. give us some calls because it seems silly that they're just arguing over they won't disclose financial statements enough, unless there's something in the financials that maybe there's people know about, and this is trying to get it exposed. I don't know. Uh, quick follow-up. I lied. I'm going to, I'm going to finish with something. No, it's all right. Um, MGM resorts refused to pay the ransom in the cyber attack on their casinos. So we have confirmation now from the wall street journal that MGM resorts had a cyber attack. They were hit with a ransom. They chose not to pay it, which aligns with the FBI's advice that paying does not guarantee data recovery and could incentivize further attacks. And here's what happened. Uh, this this is a financial disclosure. The cyber attack resulted in a decrease in resort occupancy, dropping to 88% in September from 93% a year earlier. So I guess they lost uh, 5% occupancy, um, which actually doesn't sound too bad. I guess people already had trips booked, right? So it was just inconvenient. Uh, the company expects bookings to return nor- to normal in November, and they have insurance to cover their financial losses. The hackers managed to steal customer information from before March 2019, including names, phone numbers, addresses, dates of birth, and driver's license numbers. A limited number of customers' social security and passport numbers were also obtained. The company is reaching out to those affected. I know we didn't really talk about it on the show, but a couple weeks back, Toyota 
got shut down. Their, they had to shut down all their production plants. And rumor was they got hacked. And then I don't know if you've been following this story also on the side. Clorox got hacked. Clorox, huh? And they had to shut down production of Clorox. Apparently, there's been a little bit of a Clorox shortage in the market. So wow. they had to shut down some production. But now Clorox, is, they, they basically have stated they're going to have significant losses on their next quarterly uh, reports. So the they, these I get if if you can't function your business, it's going to hurt your business. It's it's not even about them stealing money from you. It's almost worse of them crippling you. Yeah, if they shut down, yeah. Well, and, and that's um, yeah, that's scary. If if a hacker can get in and disrupt production, imagine if they got into like utility systems and disrupted power generation or water production. You know, like that. That's the thing that really frightens me from like a terrorism standpoint. Clorox has spent $25 million in responding to the attack. Like, so oh. not like paying the people, just like buttoning up systems and tech. And it probably cost a lot of money to turn a manufacturing plant down and turn it back on and like $25 million. Wow. Uh, one more follow-up. Binance, the world's biggest crypto firm, is melting down. That was the headline in the <laughs> Wall Street Journal. So they're facing an existential crisis due to Justice Department and Securities and Exchange Commission investigations and lawsuits and their founder, Chang Peng Zhao. Their market share of crypto trades has dropped 70% to around 50% this year as rivals gain ground and jurisdictions block access to the exchange. The U.S. arm of Binance has seen revenue fall 70%. There's been an exodus of executives, layoffs of 1,500-plus employees, and falling morale. If Binance collapsed, liquidity could evaporate in crypto markets, crashing prices. But other exchanges would likely fill the void over time. But yeah, the the question is, is Binance a dead man walking? And will it collapse and trigger another crypto crash? I think it depends on how much of the crypto trading is wash sales and is not real and is supported by, uh, I mean, potentially fraudulent financials. Because Binance... I'm going to say it every time I mention Binance. They've still never been audited. <laughs> They've said and promised they will be audited, and they have never been audited. Why won't they get audited? I wonder. What could they be hiding? Well, the thing is, the way audits are, nobody's going to find it anyways. So, <laughs> okay. Well, if it, think about that. The standards for audits are so low. They can't even get past that low barrier to oh, just that, get that, an that, unqualified oh, That's a good opinion. way to present it. That's a very good, good that, way to present it. That, to me, it. means something really bad, bad. is going on. Blatantly obvious. Yeah. And then I say after you you know the whole FTX stuff, it's like, oh, yeah. Like, I, it, you, like, you, you wouldn't be shocked if it was stuff just like that going on. No. You wouldn't be surprised in any way, shape, or form. No, I wouldn't be surprised point. if there was like a big hole in their balance sheet that you know was like there, there are not the assets there that they claim. Like, I would not be surprised in the slightest. And if that word got out, it's a run on the bank, whole thing collapses. And it takes down a lot of other crypto people with them because, you know, they've, they're, they're, they've got exposure. So none of this is real. That's I mean, like very little of it. You know, that's the thing that people don't understand is like, there's not a lot of actual US dollars being exchanged for crypto. Most crypto trading is happening with imaginary fake currencies called stable coins that are manipulated by the same people who are profiting from all the trading going on. Yeah. It's like, oh. it's a very small percentage of actual crypto is bought with US dollars. I mean, what else do you need to know? Oh, one, one more follow-up. Go though. for it. 
uh, we, uh, the government didn't shut down. So last week we recorded, we thought we were shutting down and it never happened. So well, I didn't think we were going to shut down. I had, I had confidence. Confidence. But I didn't think McCarthy would get <laughs> kicked out as speaker. Uh, oh, and well, you know, since you brought that up, we can't stop. Um, what, oh. is, what is the impact on not having a speaker? Well, there's a bill aimed at extending federal banking protections to marijuana companies in states where it is currently uh, legal on a federal basis, and that is stalled. So that's not good for those cannabis companies that, you know, they want to be able to do banking. And then also discussions to reinstate tax benefits for business expenditures on research and development are also on hold. So does this put all bills on hold? Everything, nothing can move forward until they pick a speaker. Oh, that's bad because there's bills currently to make accounting STEM. And now those are going to be blocked. Are the bills actually written though? Or is it just discussions? Because I feel like it's just oh. been discussions for a long time. That's a good question. Maybe you I mean, can they, figure that like, out. Like, well, once it gets a number, right? HR 3541, the accounting STEM pursuit. Oh, Act maybe. Yeah, maybe that is. I don't know. And then the Senate has 1705, the STEM Education and Accounting Act. Um, hmm. Well, they're on hold. They're Great. on hold. And we will be back next week bringing you all the latest accounting news. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. How about you, David? I'm on all the socials, David Leary. Send us your emails and your voicemails to theaccountingpodcast at earmark.me. And don't forget, if you sat through this entire episode... You can get CPE credit for it. Yes, NASBA approved CPE for listening to podcasts. Download the Earmark app on the App Store or Google Play Store. Or go to earmarkcpe.com to learn more. You already did the primary learning activity by listening to this episode. Now go on the app and take a quiz and get your CPE credit. The course will be available on the app about a week after this episode airs on our podcast feed. So if you're watching this on YouTube come back in like a week and a half and you'll be able to get the course but just download the app you've probably listened to past episodes you can get cp credit for those right now so thank you everyone who joined us in the live stream great to see you all stacy margie larry uh, thanks for commenting we've got many more who did not comment we love to hear from you it's very so, active today it's yeah. very active today join us any friday we usually broadcast fridays 10 or 11 pacific it kind of depends on when we get our act together uh, if you subscribe to us on YouTube, you'll get a notification on your YouTube app when we go live, and you can uh, you can tune in and follow along as we report the latest news. I'll see you here next week, David. Fun episode. Bye. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Stop settling for slow payments and say hello to the future of AR with Forwardly. Accounts that use Forwardly can receive payments in less than 22 seconds. Yes, under 22 seconds via the newly launched FedNow network. And if your bank or a client's bank doesn't yet use FedNow, Forwardly will send the payment via same-day ACH for free. To get paid in under 22 seconds, go to forwardly.com. That's forwardly.com. Your accounting firm is buzzing with new hires. They're eager, they're promising, they say they know QuickBooks inside and out, but soon you're seeing red flags. Errors keep creeping into the work, and once again, you're in the trained, correct repeat cycle. Break free with Royal Wise Owls. Alisa Katz Pollock, one of Ignition's 2023 top 50 women in accounting, developed a comprehensive QuickBooks training platform with live webinars and on demand courses enabling your staff to learn QBO while earning CPE. Their bronze, silver, and gold memberships range from core QBO courses and discussion groups 
groups to unlimited video library access, monthly coaching sessions, and exclusive discounts. Kickstart your journey towards a QuickBooks savvy workforce today by visiting royalwise.com. That's royalwise.com. Most firm owners are busier than they want to be because they feel like they have to work long hours to keep their firms running. But according to CPA Ryan Lozanis, that's not necessary. Ryan built a multi-seven-figure firm that didn't require him to work nights or weekends. And just five years after starting his firm, Ryan sold it to a major international organization for a hefty profit. His secret is a special six-part system. And right now he's teaching 700 plus busy firm owners to implement this system in their own firms so they can scale revenue and spend more time with family and friends. To learn more about Ryan's special six-part system that lets firm owners grow their revenue and their free time, go to futurefirmaccelerate.com slash CAP. That's futurefirmaccelerate.com slash CAP. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.